Episode 105 of the Sleeper on the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. I am your host, Jason Collette, joined in uh, ballpark by Eno Saris, who is at, uh, which one, you're at the Giants Park today, right? Yes, uh, opening day part five. Good Lord, yeah. I guess we're finally done with opening. This is, I believe, the last new uh, home opener for a team. I think it is. Yeah. Actually, Kirk Gibson made a joke about it today in the in the pre- in the uh, opening meeting. He said, "He said, uh, how's your opening day? This is our fourth. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone someone said, uh, "Well, what's going to be different this time?" And he said, "Well, we'll win this one." All right, Matt, Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, so he's got that <laughs> he's got that one going for him. So we have about thirty five minutes today. So it's going to be a short episode because you've got to get going. I've got a, a hard stop. So let's dive right into it. Uh, the biggest news was last night. Matt Moore left with an injury. The, the team still isn't sure what the deal is. He's having an MRI today. I guess there's only one MRI machine in the entire city of Kansas City because they still don't have results uh, of what it is. And uh, my concern for me, it reminded me a lot last year what happened with David Price when he threw the pitch to David Ortiz, who singled the other way. Price called the, the guys out of the, out of the dugout. They came and checked him out, and he was gone from May 18th to July 1st. And with me, the way the Rays treat these injuries, it wouldn't surprise me if Moore is the same. Moore said, just like last year, it came on a changeup. But last year when he did it, it was at Yankee Stadium. He said he felt it during bullpen. This time it just came out of nowhere on him. So maybe he was trying to pronate the thing too much. Who knows where it was, but there's a good chance that he's out. My concern was... He's already been disappointed. You go look at you know go look at his velocity over the last couple of years. It's trending down. And normally, if a pitcher's giving up velocity, maybe they're throwing with more command. But all of his indicators are going the other way. His his percentage of strikes thrown, his uh, first pitch strikes, all of that is going down. And it seems like, especially this year, he's behind in every single count. I know I'm exaggerating, but I think he's throwing a first pitch strike in like 15 of 34 uh, pitchers so uh, uh, batters so far. So he's always fighting from behind. He's down you know, 1-0, 2-1, and these kind of counts. And he didn't look that good to me until like the last four or five guys last night. He actually looked like the old Matt Moore. Then he throws that change up, and he's off the mound. Yeah, it's too bad. There's a uh, One thing about that first strike thing, it's the only peripheral that we've found um, that can predict walk rate as well or better than walk rate itself. So... Um, it's a very important thing to get ahead. I mean, it's just it's just brass tacks. As you think about the difference between 01 and 10, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. He's at 45% right now. The league average is 60%. And that's been going down from league average when he entered the league, and it's been going down every year. And you're right that everything's going down. I mean, uh, contact rates uh, are getting worse. Um, strikeout rates are getting worse. Velocity is down again this year. And uh, it's too bad because at some point I wanted to make sexy time with his uh, with his breaking pitches and uh, and his changeup. But uh, you know, if everything is missing but the strikeouts and the swinging misses, then at some point it becomes you know uh, you know you're kind of like, well, I'm sorry, Matt Moore, I have to break up with you. Yeah, well, we we did learn that he's now throwing a cutter. He unveiled it in the last game. Uh, hasn't been anything in the media about it, but you look in the pitch effects data, there's definitely a cutter there. Now, the how many he's thrown, that's up for debate. 
But there's a there's definitely a cut of there. It's something that I wrote up over at the process report. So maybe if that if he loses confidence in throwing his changeup because he's afraid of, of this flaring up again, maybe he becomes a fastball breaking ball cutter guy. To me, I, I have concerns about that for fantasy value because that changeup is a swing and miss pitch. It's a good pitch for him. It's not a great pitch, yeah. but it's a good pitch. It helps him. He's actually a reverse splits guy. He's better against righties than he is lefties. Uh, but if he's not going to throw that changeup, but he's going to use that cutter to come in on righties and then use that breaking ball as his, as his off speed, and then you know, that's okay if you can locate your fastball. But his fastball command is simply not good. So I don't know if he can get away with that recipe. So it just bears watching. Again, we haven't had any update on what that MRI was like, but it would stun me if he's not on the disabled list. Uh, yeah, and it's it's hard to sell low, but you know I'm looking at his, his his pitch types, and he doesn't have a single one that looks good right now. So something's something's off for him. And I know it's early, but he's thrown basically 20 or 30 of every pitch. The cutter, the curve, the change all have bad whiff rates right now. So something's not right. And we knew that nothing uh, projects future disabled stints than past ones. So he already went on the disabled list last year for a month uh, for that elbow. So. I don't know what you can do at this point except for hold him and, and hope for better days. But if there are better days later this season, um, I would then look to sell him. Yeah, even if even if the MRI came back clean, I would still not touch more unless it was 75 cents on the dollar. Yeah, That's kind of where I feel. Maybe it's because I watch him too much. But I don't like what I've seen so far this year. Uh, let's, let's look at this month's Tuffy Rhodes candidates because we've had several no-names come out and have huge starts to the season. Emilio Bonifacio, Chris Colabello, Casey McGee, Danny Echeverria, Charlie Blackman. Each one of them is hitting like 800 or driving in 10 runs. In some cases, a combination of both. Of these five, are any, have we already seen the best baseball? And the only way you can draft them is if you drafted this past weekend and you got the retro stats. I was in a league that drafted on Sunday night. I drafted McGee and I drafted Echeverria because I knew I could backload their stats and I could bench my crappy shortstop and my third baseman who had done nothing, my keepers. I put them on the bench for the first week and loaded up with these stats. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, I, you know, did you did you say the list? We got uh, Bonifacio, Colabello, yep. McGee, Hecuberia, Blackman. Yes. The only one that I really like is Blackman. Um, and I just think that there's an open job for them for him there. And you know, one of the things that he's doing right right now is making a lot of contact. Um, you know, his strikeout rate is 3%. His, you know, swing strike rate is 1%. Those things aren't going to stick around. But um, if you look at his minor league career, he's made a lot of contact. He could have a 13 or 14% strikeout rate. Um, and that paired with league average power and good speed would give him a good batting average. So now we're talking about a guy who could hit 280, 285, go 15, 15, um, and looks like he has kind of a hold on, on a starting job. So I like Blackman. He's he's not too old yet. He's 27. He's right in his peak. He's not a, a real high-ceiling guy in terms of power and speed, but he'll he'll have everything that you need. I like Blackman. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I like Echeverria. I like him for a different reason. I liked him for as a cheap source of steals this year. I never thought of him as a batting average guy. You know, our friend Paul Sport brought up a good point on Twitter yesterday. He said for like a 45-game stretch, Echeverria was batting 315 last year. 
And that came in between two large stretches of him hitting 170 on both sides. So, you know, good luck. You're buying him now. And I've seen him go for some pretty decent amounts in free agent budgets over the weekend. But, you know, you're not buying him for the batting average. You're buying him for speed and runs. And same thing with McGee. McGee's going to get playing time there in Miami because there's nobody else. And he's driving in runs because he's the guy that's hitting behind Giancarlo Stanton right now. He's the guy hitting behind Echeverria. So that RBI total is going to come down as Echeverria cools his jets, which is bound to happen. With Calabello, the, the, power, the 11 RBI is fun. I mean, to put this in perspective, 11 RBI and 29 plate appearances this year. He's six away from matching last year's total that he put up in 181 plate appearances. <laughs> you know, that, this is what he, and he is a, this is a 30 year old guy that has just over 200 major league plate appearances. This is, yeah. this is what I, you know, people may go, like, ooh, ooh, and maybe, you know, Minnesota, they need that, they need some kind of run production because that's not a strong team on paper, but this is not going to be it. He, I, you know, 11 RBI, let's say he may, maybe he gets to 40 by season's end, but you just lost 25% of them watching him do this on the free agent pile. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I bid $21 for him on labor, and I, and I lost out. Um, and I just didn't feel like I could go higher than that because of what you're saying. I mean, he's old. Um, and the strikeout rates, the strikeout rates he put up in AAA as a 30-year-old um, sort of suggest that he's, he's going to have a strikeout rate problem. And so far, he struck out 30% of the time as a major leaguer. So you've got a guy who strikes out 30% of the time. You know, we're unsure about his power because he's past peak already. And he's so old that he's not really a prospect of any sort. I mean, I think if he gets to 250 and, you know, 18 homers uh, by the year's end, you've, you've, cashed, you've done really well in a, in a deep league. But he's definitely not mixed league material. Um, and for, you know, Adani, um, the Marlins shortstop, I'm just not even going to try to say his last name. <laughs> um, uh, I, he was the worst player in baseball last year by wins above replacement. And I know we, you know, we don't play in wins above replacement leagues, but that was some really bad offense. And I just, I, I won't pick him up in any league, and mostly because he doesn't walk, he strikes out too much, he has no power. So you're paying too much for the steals. And his full season high in steals is 20. And last year he got caught 10 times in, in 21 ch- chances. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I know he's a speedy guy, but you know, he could be speedy like Anderson Simmons where he steals five bases and is, is, is athletic in the field, but doesn't necessarily um, have stolen base speed. Agreed. Let's move on to closers. We've already had the following guys lose their job to injury or ineffectiveness. Aroldis Chapman, injury. Bobby Parnell, surgery. David Robertson, injury. Uh, Jim Henderson, ineffectiveness. Neftali Feliz, ineffectiveness and lack of stuff. Nate Jones, lack of experience. Those are seven guys that, that, that I'm not even counting the fact that Chad Qualls was projected to closer last month and, and has as many saves as Josh Fields does. But that's where we're at. 25% of the closers have already changed hands. And as we've talked about this, we, we know what we said about the never pay for saves mantra, and that's fine. But then you go out and look at the expert leagues and both labor and tout experts paid for saves. And now we get into the season, and these guys are, have done this. Joe Nathan hasn't looked good. Trevor Rosenthal looked like garbage yesterday. Uh, Kenley Jansen's had a bit of a struggle. Kimbrell and Ciszek have been fantastic. Jim Johnson has been horrendous um, out there, and that's this is what we're going. This is what we're going at. Uh, if you were drafting this weekend, how would you approach drafting? For I mean, nobody's drafting this weekend, but if you were, how would you? How would the recent performance of these guys change your mindset on how to handle saves? 
<laughs> not at all. I mean, I'm always uh, at the bottom. The one thing I will say is that there's something uh, there's something to the velocity of these closer changes this year. Um, it just seems like they're all coming so fast and they're happening so so right now. The problem is that it's hard to pick who. I mean, even for me, I'll admit, and I you know I write the closer report on Rotor World and I I read up on it every day and I'm trying to you know to stay on top. It's hard for me to rank say. Nate Jones against Jim Henderson uh, against Jose Valverde. Um, just because these guys are in such different situations. Like, do I think that Nate Jones is a better pitcher than Jose Valverde? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, do I think that uh, Jim Henderson, you know, is a mile, and a, a mile an hour away from being the same old Jim Henderson? Yeah. So um, I, I'm trying to hold on to the guys behind the guys I really don't have a lot of respect for. So, we talked about this before. I'm still holding on to Jim Henderson. I'm still holding on to Nate Jones. But I'm trying to make space on my roster for four, five, six closer reliever spots. And I know that's not the best way to manage the roster, but I'm hoping that out of those six, I get three to four closers, and then I can use those extra roster spots later in the season uh, to go and find everything else I need. That's kind of where I am, too. I mean, I, I went out and I, I purchased in Tout Wars. I ended up going cheap because I just refused to get in that market. I got Qualls and I got... Uh, Santos and I got Webb, and so far I have two saves out of that group, so yay me uh, on that. But even in my other leagues, I have Rosenthal, somebody I own several shares in. I grab Perkins. I do have Jansen in a home league. Uh, but it, it's been a very rough start uh, for closers. And I think, if anything, it presents a decent buying opportunity. So if you did punt saves earlier at the draft and you're looking to trade for them, now may be a good time while some of these other guys are frustrating. You know, you read the reports about Nathan uh, working 89 to 90. You know, go grab him. He's still going to get those saves, <clears throat> pardon me, in Detroit. So I think a buying opportunity may be here before some of these guys straighten themselves out. Uh, speaking of, you know, velocity is not everything. Two guys that I've watched pitch this week, both times against Tampa Bay, but Jason Vargas and Mark Burley. I think I counted three pitches over at, uh, at 87 mile, at least 87. <laughs> and they both just absolutely shoved it. You know, you look at you look at pitch values. Jason Vargas has a very, very good changeup. His changeup was top ten last year. When you look at the the pitch values in that pitch, so seeing him, a lot of people were like, you know, why the Royals signed to a four year, thirty two million dollar deal? But if you watched the game last night, you saw why. I mean, he pitches to the big part of the ballpark. Dead fish changeups on the outer, on the right on the black. If you make contact with it, you're trying to hit it to dead center which is a very tough place to hit it in Kansas City. A lot of those balls were falling short. I mean, there was a lot of good contact last night, but it was the big part of the ballpark. And then Mark Burley, we know he'll throw five pitches in the time it took me to say the sentence, but that's the way he works, too. He just cuts it and dives it and fades it and makes the ball disappear. And, you know, velocity isn't everything, but these guys, are they're, they're a, low, a low ceiling guy, but they have such a high floor because there's so little risk with them. Yeah, actually, looking at uh, Vargas's numbers, I just wrote about how there's, um, after an interview with Kluber, I wrote about how there's certain pitchers, I think, out there that should probably ditch their four-seamer for a two-seamer, and I wonder if Vargas shouldn't have been on that list. I mean, his four-seamer is pretty terrible, and that's probably why, you know, uh, the the upside is low, and people don't think of Jason Vargas as a great pitcher, but, um, I mean, the changeup is great, and the curveball is, is average, so, um, you know, the sinker actually does better for him and it might just be because it's it's he doesn't throw it very often and maybe it wouldn't be as good mm -hmm. if he threw it a lot but um you know i wonder if he could throw a, a few more sinkers in any case um you know he is the kind of guy that i wouldn't mind having in a deep league um but i do think the era will get closer to four over the course of the season 
Um, it's kind of hard with his skill set. Like you said, the changeup is really good. It's 24% whiffs. That's a really good changeup. That's up there. Uh, and the curve gets enough grounders to be, uh, to be about average. It, maybe the curve isn't great. So he's kind of a one-pitch pitcher in a way. Um, but uh, it's a good one. And he's in a good park for his skill set, and he's always. But you know, if you look in, the, in his past, he's always been in a good park for his skill set, and he, he always, his ERA always gets to about three nine, you know, four zero. So um, I, I think he's a, your deep league guy for sure. Yeah, definitely a, a matchup play. And I think you know your point about dumping the four seamer. It sounds a lot like uh, Kyle Loesch's interview with David Lorela that was on the site uh, today. Talked about how the the Twins made him made him use a four seam, and then when he got to St. Louis, first thing Dave Duncan told him was. Four seams out the window. You're throwing two seamers here, yeah, so maybe that could affect that could work well for Vargas. But definitely, when you, when you see a guy, Perez was setting up with his glove, and most most of the time, the ball was going right where Perez was calling for it, and that's what Vargas does, and that's exactly what Burley does. He had the same kind of situation. Um, the Billy Hamilton concernometer. This may be a regular part of this podcast for the next few weeks. Uh, because I know there's a lot of people freaking out about their investment in Billy Hamilton, who so far has yet to steal a base uh, and does have one double. I think he has a double and a single out of you know, the entire season and no stolen bases. And here we are into the eighth game of the season. Where is your level on a on a 20 to 80 scale? Where is your level of concern for Billy Hamilton? Uh, it's probably a 60. Um, I mean, one thing that I like when I look at his line is that he's um, making contact at least. I mean, I know that his strikeout rate is super high, but his swinging strike rate is 6.9%. just means that he's swinging a little bit too much. Um, and that's probably that's the easiest way to look and, and say that he's uh, pressing. Um, but actually, now that I look at his swing rates, 37% swing rate is really low. So he must be looking at a lot of called strikes. Um and maybe that's because he's put an emphasis on on being. Um, he told me in the spring that he was that he was he's the on base guy, and that's that was one of the things he was looking at in the spring. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, he's had good on base percentages at times in the minor leagues. Uh, he didn't in Triple A, uh, but at other times he's had good walk rates and and, and uh, gotten on base. So I'm, I'm sure that he's trying. His way of pressing um, is to see a lot of pitches um, and to and to get on base for his guys. And maybe, uh, maybe all that needs to happen is a little bit of a, a conference with his hitting coach and say, you know what, just go out there and rip it for a while. Just go out there and, and, and swing some more and, and, and try to get some good pitches. So, um, you know, that, that could be going on. Anyway, uh, yes, it looks really bad right now. He's not even getting on base enough to steal bases, and he's got that dreaded 0-1 in the stolen base caught stealing and he was out by so. and he was out by a mile too i take that but that double in yesterday's game off of off of uh waka was his only hit on the season and then the reds uh because brian price thinks that dusty baker must be the smartest guy in the world had allowed brandon phillips to bunt bunt uh, Hamilton over to third base with nobody out in the first inning uh like he, he said they said that he didn't necessarily have to bunt. I mean, if, if I'm the third base coach, my sign to Brandon Phillips is move him over and no, do not bunt. Uh, but the, there you go. That's how it is so far. When you look at Hamilton, he has he has seen 72 pitches this season. He has taken 43. He has swung at 29. So he's taking what it reminds me of. It reminds me of Robbie Grossman last year. You go back and look at Robbie Grossman. Yes, his first, yes, exactly. he took everything. And then he would fall yeah. behind 0-2 and flail at pitches and strike out. Astros yeah. sent him down and said, work on being more aggressive. And when he came back up, 
He was more aggressive, and things worked out for him. So go look at Robbie Grossman's splits. My level of concern on the Hamilton meter is uh, on a 20 to 80. I'm probably right in the middle at 50, and I'm somebody who owns two shares of him, uh, one in a very competitive league. So that's where I sit with him. I can't believe you do. How did you end up with shares of Billy Hamilton? Be one of them. One of them was a keeper league, and the other one was a uh, a league, a thirty dollar league. And I'm sitting there with like the, picking the end of the sixth round. I'm like, you know what? Screw it, Hamilton. Uh, it was like a slow <laughs> draft, and I took it, and I said whatever. So the other one was a keeper league. I traded for him last year. I've turned down several trade offers, uh, including one yesterday. Somebody offered me Michael Franco and Tim Federovich for uh, Hamilton and Willie Peralta. Because I lost AJ Ellis, I'm like, yeah, no, uh, no, quick decline, no thanks, quick decline. So that's where <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm definitely at a 50 percent level of concern with him, though. But I think, as we've said repeatedly here, he has a long leash because their backup plan is Roger Bernardino. They don't have another yeah. option, so I think Chris is not really no, a that's center not it. And So the, he has an option because and maybe they can just move him down in the lineup. That'll kind of stink for his run for his runs, but he could still run down there. But at the top of the lineup, not working right now. Maybe moving him down a little bit, that will help things out. But we'll see where that goes. I know you were in Jamaica over the weekend, but I don't know how much baseball you saw. But since we last talked, what's the thing that stood out to you most so far? <laughs> uh, I love jerk chicken. Um, <laughs> no, it was terrible timing uh, for me. Uh, but uh, I had to do it anyway. Um and uh, I don't know. I, I did miss most of the baseball. I saw um, I saw some of the uh, Dodgers Giants uh, last night, um, and uh, that, that's been really been it since since middle of last week. So uh, I'm trying to get back on track. Um, you know, I, I, I it happens every year, but uh, the injuries are coming pretty fast. I mean, I just saw AJ Ellis is out for four to six. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm glad that Ruiz is back. I feel like in a lot of leagues you can just make that switch. Um, but uh, if you're in a two-catcher league, you're just screwed. Yeah, I, I had to uh, trade for Jose Lobato in my 10-team NL league, and I traded yeah. Jay Ellis because I needed a catcher, and I, there was nothing on my free agent pile. So I traded A.J. Ellis. I figured, you know what, he's going to be gone six to eight weeks. I'll let the other guy have him, and I got Jose Lobaton because I need I need production. Norris is uh, Derek Norris is getting some at bats against righties. I mean, he's probably he's gone in those leagues, but that's a little bit deeper if you need to go deeper. He's my second um, catcher in my thirteen team mixed. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> he's my he's my hell labor catcher. I'm pretty happy about that right now. I was at dollar but, days and I had to try to sneak somebody through, and that's why I was able to sneak through. Yeah, I wonder if we should sneak in a little bit of closer talk at the end here because. Um, it's just, it's really crazy right now. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's so crazy that the top five has gotten, uh, is there a top five? I mean, uh, you've got your, your Craig Kimbrell and Koji, Koji Uehara, and then it's really hard. You know, I think Kenley Jansen actually has velocities up. And yeah, I, 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 is, I saw that piece from, uh, from Petriello. Uh, the other thing was, you know, yet last night Uehara gave up two hits for the first time and who knows how long it's been a long time since that dude's given up two hits in the same game but he did but I know Greg Holland hasn't looked exactly smooth in his outings that's been an issue Kimbrel's looked just fine from watching him pitch he's looked just fine Ciszek has looked fantastic Papelbon's already blown a save but again who wasn't surprised by that I'm most concerned about Jim Johnson because he has not looked good at all and yeah. at least there's other options. Ryan Cook just came back off of the DL. They do have Sean Doolittle. So if I'm a Jim Johnson owner, 
if I if I had any shares in Jim Johnson, I would be more nervous about him than I would be Billy Hamilton right now because Johnson really has looked poor. Uh, the, the, the command hasn't been there. Things are being left up. He's getting hit around. That concerns me, and that's really it. I mean, other than that, there really hasn't anything stood out to me from a, a closer level outside of just the level of injuries. Yeah. Well, how about this? Which uh, which which closer is going to do it ugly like a Joe Borowski? Uh, who, which closer is going to somehow get to 30 saves, even though right now we're all like, no way. So uh, candidates for you are, uh, I guess, Matt Lindstrom. Um, I'll put Josh Fields in that list. Uh, Francisco Rodriguez, Jose Valverde. Um, it's it's. I, I'm not going to put Joe Nathan on the list, but it's sort of like you're you're saying with Joe Nathan. Sometimes guys, you know, nothing looks like it's going right, but somehow they end up with uh, with 30 saves anyway. Which who's your you're doing it ugly? I mean, pick for the all year. the names that you just rattled off. I don't think any of those guys even gets a 20 saves. I think Papelbon can still get 30 ugly saves this year. Uh, it's going to be up, but he he's going to have to be their closer because of what they're paying him unless they find another team to say, okay, yeah, we'll take on some of that contract. But he's still going to get that job, so he's going to be able to, to be the Kevin Gregg 30 save guy this year with that. But I mean, with, with the other guys, uh, shoot, I don't I don't even know uh, at this point because, again, I, don't, I can't forecast any of those guys for even 20 saves this year. I've, I've been on record how much I, I dislike some of those – some of those other guys, but I think Papelbon is really my prime target to be the, I'm going to save 30 games and have an ERA over 450. Yeah, that's weird. Um, I think, uh, I think I do have a pick, uh, Matt Lindstrom, I think, um, you know, I know the flaws with him. I know he doesn't really have a great strikeout rate and he hasn't been superb so far. Um, but I just see enough there and he does have the velocity. So in terms of like, you know, watching him, you know, if you're the manager watching him, it, it won't look like you've got Joe Borowski out there. It'll look like you have a regular closer out there. It just happens to be when you look in the box scores, the strikeouts weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that my pick will be right. I mean, you're, you're to, to, to try and pick the next Joe Borowski is a, is a fool's errand. But um, I just see with Nate Jones' inexperience in the injury and the fact that the team is probably not going to be competitive this year, and they're probably going to save. They probably can save Buddy by keeping Nate Jones in the in that spot. I'm just really worried about my Nate Jones shares because of uh, Matt Lindstrom just uh, just going out there and doing just enough. Who do you like in the um, in the Reds pen while uh, Chapman's out? Uh, I think Broxton at this point. Brox is coming off the DL. I believe he comes off DL today or tomorrow. Uh, Hoover hasn't looked that sharp. Uh, man, when you give a grand slam to Ike Davis, I don't know what to te- what to tell you. But uh, maybe Broxton <laughs> gets it on experience. If 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 Brian Price is bunting runners over at first base with nobody out in the first at second base with nobody out in the first inning, he may be more old school than we thought. And if he's going to be that old school, he's going to go to Broxton very quickly because Broxton that's, has that's the experience. Also, uh, so he's a weirdo. He so far, so far he is. I mean, that's been uh, when I tweeted out something about finding managers a thousand dollars if they bunt anybody over from second in the first <laughs> inning. I had a lot of Reds fans because he'd be broke by the end of the month. So apparently, they're not happy with some of his decisions so far. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I've talked a little bit about the, the Mets pen behind 
Valverde, but do you have somebody you like in that pen? Uh, we said last week Germain was the, one of the guys. Uh, I, I don't have faith in Valverde. I don't have faith in Farnsworth. Um, maybe if they could pick some, I, I believe like Hanrahan, even Kevin Gregg of all people is still out there. So he were to want a contract, but I, they were watching Hanrahan. Yeah. yeah go there. I, I just, I, you looked at Valverde last year. Nobody gets that much better being away from the game. And he was, once people realized lay off the fat, lay off the splitter, make him throw a fastball. He was done in three weeks. And that, that, that's going to happen again here. I don't care what happens early on. That's going to happen again. This guy it's not going to last. Uh, for him, so I would see who they pick up. But right now, it's a situation I want to avoid. You know, and in my NFBC league, a lot of people were jumping in on a bid, and I was like, "Go ahead." You know, I ended up getting uh, Santos last week. I fell short on, on K Rod this week uh, in that league, but K Rod ended up going like three hundred and sixty-one dollars out of a thousand uh, free agent dollars. Somebody dropped on him, and Jeez. somebody dropped four twenty on uh, Charlie Blackman. Jeez. So well, see, I'm, I can get a little bit behind that because that's a position player. A little bit, and he plays in Colorado. And, yeah. You know, I, I could get behind that one a little bit, but I've seen some crazy numbers for closers. Um, you know, I, I forget who it was. Maybe Scott Engel in, in Toud Mix uh, just dropped $35 combined, I think, on on um, both uh, Valverde and K-Rod. Oof. And that's a 30-year budget, and you may not have a closer in two weeks, you know, from those two. So uh, I keep trying – you know, it seems like every week, and this is might be an interesting conversation to end up with. Uh, uh, I keep trying every week in these in these weekly auction leagues to decide how am I, how am I going to approach the closer thing because there's always like six closers I could bid on. Mm-hmm. And basically, what I've come to is just bid, um, you know, just bid a, a number that I'm comfortable with on like all of them. You know what I mean? Like just just bid like instead of bidding like twenty and thirty and crazy numbers. Just bid a bit, like a bunch of tens and elevens right. um, on on them, and maybe you'll get you know one of the three or one of the four. Of course, I did that this week, and I ended up with a one dollar Yuri's Familia um, in tout, and he's pretty far away from closing probably um, for whatever reason. But you know, I kept a toe in that water, and maybe uh, next week when there's another five closers up on the on the weekly budget, I'll I'll, I'll get one of those. So. I just don't want to spend $30 uh, to get my, myself a closer. I made sure that I, in most of my leagues I had one closer to begin with, and I'm just trying to, to find that second one however I can. The thing that hurt the most was dropping Sean Kelly this week um, in AL Labor for Nick Martinez. Ah. That's the one thing that I like to do is identify guys like Familia and Kelly um, who are behind healthy guys and just wait for the closer to not be healthy. Yeah, I so, ended up I, – I lost I, – I had – Kelly was my second conditional bid in tout. I had bid on Matt Albers and I had thrown my, my conditional. If I lost Albers was Sean Kelly. I ended up getting Albers missed that on Kelly, but I like, if you look at the early numbers on Albers so far, velocity up, the whiff rates are up. I like what I see from him in that wide open Houston situation. There's a hat because I already had quals. I said, okay, let me hedge my bets and let's go here. Cause fields wasn't available to that in NFBC, I ended up I lost the bid on Francisco Rodriguez, but I ended up winning Cody Allen because uh, Axford's got me a bit worried uh, the way he's looked out of the gate so far. So I picked up Cody Allen evidently just to sash to see if anything happens there. I think that's the way. To, I think that's actually the best way to go about this because I mean, especially in deep leagues, the the, the guys that are become closers are either gone or cost a ton in in, in the weekly budget. Um, so I think the best thing to do is to step out one one ahead. 
and pick up someone like uh, Kelvin Herrera. You know, at the very least, he'll give you great strikeouts and, and ratios and, and be a, a helpful pitcher. And, uh, you know, maybe Greg Holland's look fine, but maybe Greg Holland grabs his elbow. I mean, these old guys are like this. So, you know, I like Kelvin Herrera. I still like Nate Jones. You never know what's going to happen with Matt Lindstrom. Um, and I like guys like Joaquin Benoit. I mean, Houston Street can't hit 89. He didn't hit – he hasn't hit 89, I don't think. I mean, I watched him in one – and he didn't hit 89 once. So, um, Houston Street, you know, has got one foot out the door. So, I, I like all those guys that are great pitchers. I'll start with that. And then the second thing I'll look for is an iffy situation in front of them. And that's why last year I, I got Danny Farquhar a month ahead of him getting the job because yeah. it was one of these things I looked at I said, okay – I like these numbers, and it wasn't like Wilhelmson was was slamming the door shut every time he was out there. I just looked at it and said, okay, I like what I see here, and that's kind of what I'm doing with Albers. If we look at from 2009 to 2013, 17% strike rate, 10% walk rate. Yes, it's only been 73 pitches so far this year, but he's got a 32% strikeout rate, and he hasn't walked a guy yet. 19 plate appearances, six strikeouts, zero walks, Four singles. That's what he's uh, three singles and a double. That's what he's allowed so far. And he's you know really what he's done is fastball slider. He really hasn't. That's where his numbers are. Throwing actually throwing a little bit of a changeup this year. Something he hasn't done, but the slider's been a big pitch for him so far. And that's when I've watched a couple of games that stood out to me. So that's what I'm, I'm speculating here. See if I can get ahead of the game. Maybe he stands out from the crowd because his name was one of the ones mentioned by Bo Porter when they talked about who's on your closer committee. Albers was one of those names. So he was cheap. I got him for, I think I spent $2 on him uh, in fab. So if you're looking in a deep AL league or you have a reserve roster in a mixed league, there's a name to look at. Yeah, and he actually does have pretty good velocity, right? Yeah, he's a 92, top shot 94. Okay. But uh, the slider's really been a big thing for him this year, and he's been able to get ahead and count. So normally he falls behind. That's when he's got to get the fastball. The other thing I like about him, ground ball guy. 50, 56% ground ball rate over the last five years. Yeah. And that's a nice recipe for me. Throws the slider, has the ground ball rate. I'll take a shot on him. Uh, yeah. The other, the only other thing that stood out to me was Oda Rizzi. That for, we talked about him in that split changeup they learned from Cobb. He came out in the first game through 31 of them. And got seven swings and misses on it, including a couple by uh, off of Chu, who we know is a really good guy against right-handed bats. So he's got the confidence to use that pitch in that first game in that manner. We've, we've seen guys that work on pitches in spring training and then shelve them. He went right to the gate, came out with it, and was thrown. He, the first pitch of the game was a changeup. He bounced it in front of home plate. He didn't get rid of it. He bounced it in front of home plate, and he threw 30 more during the, during the game. That That impressed me. It's got uh, it's got good action. It's got good whiff rates. Uh, and I did write a story at some point that said everyone should learn the split finger. So I'm all, I'm all for it. Um, the only thing I would say is that split fingers actually have reverse platoon splits. So in a way, Jake Odorizzi might have a harder time against um, same-handed guys um, because his slider has not been good so far. But, um, you know, if you go back and reach back into uh, his uh, career numbers – the slider is also not good. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what he's going to do. But maybe uh, maybe the next evolution of Jake Odorizzi is a cutter, and he becomes a cutter-splitter uh, uh, four-seam guy. And that, that could actually uh, be a very good pitcher. So uh, I love the fact he found one pitch uh, now and with a chance of two. Uh, I still think he's more of a deep leaguer, but I do love the splitter. 
Yeah, I was I was definitely a fan of it because the changeup was was uh, a very meh pitch. Uh, this definitely had action and life to it, so that was good. Uh, we'll close up because I know it's getting noisy behind you, and I got my hard stop coming up. The only other note is Matt Moore is going to the disabled list. They haven't officially announced it yet, but there's help coming up from Durham, according to the beat reporter. So Matt Moore is going to hit the disabled list. Who's it going to be? Is it Bedard? Uh, no, right now it's, it sounds like it's going to be Jeff Bellavu. So it's going to be bullpen. So they may go Cesar Ramos in the rotation. Ramos picked up the, the mess that Moore left last night. More, uh, Ramos has already stretched out because they tried him as a starting pitcher during spring training. So he just may stay there, and Bellavu may take over as this as the long slot man because that's what Ramos's role is. Comes in in low-leverage situations, but he's more than a low-leverage reliever because he can get righties and lefties out. He's a prototypical number five, and that's his upside. But he's more than just a lefty reliever. So that they can bring up Bellavu, who's already on the 40. That's the issue with Bedard. They'd have to clear a spot to get him on the to do that. And they've, you know, obviously you put more on the DL, that clears a spot on the active roster, but you got a 40 man roster spot you got to worry about. Wow. Is Ramos really like the biggest junker baller ever? Uh, no. I mean, he throws, you know, he doesn't, he's got, a, I don't know if he even has an average pitch. He can throw a few pitches, but he, he can locate them well. He throws on both sides of the plate. Obviously, it's a step down from Moore, but honestly, how much of a step down? Because Moore, again, has looked like crap this year. <laughs> well, by pitch effects, uh, he throws his slider more than his sinker and his changeup about the same as his sinker. So he's a. Uh... I guess you really don't know what's coming when he's about to throw it. <laughs> yes, so that's where that is. So that's it, and we'll record. We'll... Deep leaguer, though, right? Deep league yeah, spot AL, starter. AL starter at best. So that, that's okay. where that is. So that'll be it for uh, this show. We'll touch base again Thursday or Friday. We're still trying to finalize a recording schedule now that we're in the regular season. But if you have any questions, hit us up on the comment section or Twitter. And uh, have fun at the ball game, dude. Yeah, opening day part four. All right, man. Talk to you next time. Thank you.